Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We're continuing our series on the parables, and today I think this is probably the most well-known parable. I mean, even if somebody doesn't have much connection with church, they might have heard of the Good Samaritan, right, or even the word Samaritan, um, the Good Samaritan. At church here, we have a Good Samaritan fund, you know, and it's where money's donated, and then that money is like kind of in a different bucket, so to speak, and when there's people in need, that's uh, where we take it from. And I want to live in a world of Good Samaritans, don't you? I mean, I, I want good Samaritans to be my neighbors, right? I want good Samaritans to be, I mean, we, you just, we all just want that, don't we? I mean, years ago, I was a good Samaritan. I was, I was uh, at college, and my college was kind of close to Nelson's Ledges, just a few hills and seven or nine miles or whatever, and I borrowed some bikes, and uh, two of us rode down there, and as we're... Um, riding down there. We walked around. And, and How many have ever been to Nelson's Ledges? Yeah. Now, not the lake part. Do you know there's two Nelson's Ledges? One is the lake that has been a place of partying since maybe I was a child, right? And uh, there's concerts, all this stuff. And then it's kind of bisected. The other half is this state park. And it's beautiful down there. You walk, and there's like these cliffs, and you're walking down in there. And, and as we're about to leave, I see a guy running with hiking boots on. And the hiking boots back in the day were heavy leather and, and vibram soles. And, and I say to my friend, you know, I, that looks like something's wrong. People don't just usually run as hard as they can with hiking boots on. And then another person comes by. Uh, which way did they go? They went that way. What's up? Somebody fell. And I said, let's go see if we can help. Now, just to explain for those who are younger, we didn't have cell phones back in the day, right? You know, we had um, phones that were connected with wires, right? Yeah, right. Our TVs were connected with antennas, not cables, right? And our phones were connected with cables, not antennas. And so, um, so they were running, and we went up to see if we could help, and we get there, and there's a group at the top of the cliff, and there's a guy laying on the ground at the bottom, and nobody is near him. And I'm like, and they go, don't touch him, you know, and I'm like, don't touch, nobody is near this guy, right? Why, wh who's giving him first aid? So I get down there, and he was breathing in fluids, like his mouth, I, I'm trying not to be graphic, but, but he had to, you had to clear his mouth and nose to, to get him some breathing. And uh, I, you know, took my shirt off and gave him, covered him with different things and until the paramedics came and I, I don't know, things didn't go so well for him. And I'm pretty sure that he had been to the other side of Nelson's Ledges, the blue sign side and had been imbibing and then like backed off a, a, a high kind of cliff there. Um, but there are opportunities to be good Samaritans, to do what we can for people as we live our lives. And, and I want to live in a world of good Samaritans. And I think this parable is supposed to wreck us first, 
then it's supposed to rebuild us, and then it will also redirect us. I think the parable needs to wreck us, rebuild us, and redirect us. Uh, and, it, and it begins this way. So a lawyer comes up to Jesus to put him to a test. So when you say lawyer, what comes to your mind, right? When I was in the business world, I had an office, and both offices next to mine were lawyers, right? And they were really good guys down deep, about 10 feet down. They were... Um, they were good, good guys. But when you say lawyer, you have a picture. But this is, this is somebody who's good with God's law. It isn't like good with Roman law or whatever. He's good with God's law. And it's a different concept than when we say lawyer. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this is a trick question. And notice what Jesus does. He says to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answers a question with a question. Isn't it interesting how many times in the Bible God questions us? He knows the answer. Jesus knows how to answer it. But the way to get to the heart of people is with questions. I mean, Adam and Eve sin, and what does God have for them? Where are you? He knows where they are, right? Well, who, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Like, he just starts asking them questions. I remember when I was in the business world, they asked me to do a, a kind of like a teaching for the sales force, and they said, hey, will you talk about how to build rapport with customers? And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this whole teaching with questions. I'm just going to pull everything I want to say out of everybody there. And it happened. I mean, this is a bunch of great people, and I, they had no idea I was doing it. And I'm just like, okay, I want to make this point. What questions do I have to ask the group to get this? And it just went down, and, uh, and questioning was the way. I, I'm trained as a coach, as a, um, to coach other pastors, and coaching is all about asking the right questions. I don't think I'm a great coach because most of the time I'll be like, that's stupid. You should not do that, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't work. It, it's not a good thing. I, I, Randy Elkhorn uh, <clears throat> was talking about questions, and many times people will say, hey, how, can a, how, how does God send anybody to hell, right? How can a good God send anybody to hell? And, and instead of trying to defend God, he'll say, well, do you think anybody should go to hell? And most people will go, well, Adolf Hitler... Right? Or, you know, they'll find somebody. So then all of a sudden, now he's in a dialogue about qualifications, right? Where the line's drawn, as opposed to defending God. All of a sudden, he's, he's in a dialogue with somebody. And, and so Jesus asks the guy a question, and this lawyer answers it. And he pulls two scriptures, which are really common, which were said regularly by the Jewish people You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, great, you got an A, right? You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do that perfectly and you will live. But now he gets into trouble because he wants to justify himself. He wants to prove to Jesus, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So he says, uh, who's my neighbor, Jesus? Maybe he thinks he's going to trick him. Jesus could have said a lot of things, right? Well, the guy living next door, right? The people around the corner, like a bunch of things. But Jesus decides uh, to tell a story. I, I had to wonder when I started reading that justification, wanting to justify himself. 
And I have found that I want to justify myself many times too. Have you ever name dropped? You know, right? You say, say I meet somebody who likes music and they, they go to a lot of concerts in Cleveland and stuff. I'll be like, you know Billy Coakley? Because if they like Billy, they'll like me. They go, oh, I don't really like him. Oh, I don't know who he is. No, okay. <laughs> no, no, I haven't met anybody who would say that about Billy. And, uh, but do you see the name dropping kind of thing, right? You, you, all of a sudden, you drop a name, and then you, beco- you, like, you become, you have more justification, uh, enoughness. I think that's one of the um, appeals of social media. Look how many people like my post. Look how many, like all of a sudden, it's like we... We are somebody because we, we have this. And, and you, I see this tendency in my heart. You Maybe you see it in yours. There's so many ways of, of wanting to justify our existence. You know, we can do it how well we parent. We can do it how, how, you know, how much we give, how, how big our house is. You know, it doesn't really matter. We're, our hearts are always looking to find glory, find justification, And Jesus is saying, you let all that go and you find it in me because I'm the only one that lasts. And this guy's trying to find it in his own religious performance. Jesus, tell me how good I am, right? Who is my neighbor? So he says, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think it's important because when you and I think of this parable of the good Samaritan, how many times do you connect it with it's Jesus's answer to how to get eternal life? Most of us, we have a whole different kind of concept, but this is part of the answer. Teacher, what must I do to inherit? Isn't it interesting he said inherit, not earn? Somehow, if I'm good enough, I'm part of the family, you know? So, so Jesus says this, <clears throat> a man's going down to Jerusalem, to Jericho. So from the place of worship back to a town, and, and he fell among robbers and they stripped him and they beat him and he went away, leaving him half dead. Now, you and I, we don't, we don't really get any picture we, when we hear this route. But for those people there in that day, they understood that on the one side there were mountains, and so you'd have this kind of moist air coming in. And then as it went up the mountains, the moisture would leave, and you'd have a desert on the other side. You've seen this happen in places. You see it in America, right? It's like the mountains push the moisture out of the air, and this was an arid desert-like 18-mile trip. Jericho is the oldest continually inhabited city in the world. Remember Joshua and the walls of Jericho? Jericho has an oasis. There's water coming in there. There's, it's, it's a place Herod had um, a, a summer house there or a winter house. And, and a lot of the priests and the Levites, you know, they, they worked in Jerusalem, but they lived, you know, they only worked for certain amounts of time at a time, and then they lived in Jericho. So Jesus says there's a guy going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the robbers and they stripped him and beat him and he went away, left him half dead. And I'm sorry, but Princess Bride, any Princess Bride fans? Yeah, only a few. Please uh, put up with me. So there's this one scene where the, 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 uh, um, the guy who's the famous guy, the, the lead actor in there is dead And this guy says, oh, he's only mostly dead. There's a big difference between being mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. 
It's part of the humor of the movie. But he's half dead. Now picture this, bloody, beaten, looking like he's dead and naked. Because your value also was in your clothing. Remember when Jesus was crucified, they didn't want to tear his garment? They, they cast lots for it because it had value in it. And, and so they left this guy, I, he had to be a mess, right? I mean, just a mess. And, and then all of a sudden, two religious guys pass by. A priest is going down on the side of the road. When he saw him, he, he moved away. I, I, I can't get near that guy. Likewise, a Levite also came to the place and saw him, and he passed by on the other side. So they might have thought that he was all dead. And if we want to try to think better of them, we would say that. We just, because if they touched a dead body, um, it, was, it was commanded in the law they weren't allowed to. So the Levites were not allowed, the priests were not allowed to be morticians. Look, look what the Lord said to Moses. Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron. Say to them, a priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die. And if you touch a dead body, you're unclean. You're unclean for seven days, and you had to go through kind of this, this ritual. He said, except for close relatives, such as mother, father, son, daughter, brother, or an unmarried sister who's dependent on him since she has no husband. For her, uh, he may make himself unclean. But this is the last line kind of makes me smile. But he must not make himself unclean for people related to him by marriage. Does that include his wife? <laughs> right. Sorry, your dad's going to have to take care of this. Can't touch her. You know, I mean, I, I, so they could have been like, ah, uh, half dead, maybe fully dead. I mean, that would be to speak for them. On the other hand, he wasn't dead. And as we'll see, somebody went over and checked it out and saw that he wasn't. And if they were going up to Jerusalem, you might go, oh, okay, you know, you don't want to risk it or whatever because you're going to go minister. But they were off. You go, they're leaving the holy city. They're leaving the temple going home. So frankly, if they were unclean, they had time. If they sinned, they could actually offer a sacrifice for their sin. So an, a, a Samaritan, but a Samaritan. Now, you and I, we say the word Samaritan, it does nothing for us, right? Other than we think, oh, helping people, good Samaritan, right? But for them, it was, um, it was a serious, offensive word. It was almost a swear word. It, the chapter before this, look, look what happened. Jesus had sent out the 72 and as he's sending out the 72, it says, uh, at that time, uh, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He set out to die. And he went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem, because the Samaritans had their own temple. And they, there was a just... A huge um, disagreement between them. If you remember, years before this, when Ezra came back to rebuild the temple, you had people who had lived in Jerusalem and, and Jewish people who had married the other people who had been there, and they came up to Ezra, who had come back to build the temple, and said, hey, can we help? They're like, no, you're not purebred. You've intermarried. You can't help. 
So now there's all this division, and they're writing the king saying, don't let them rebuild it. And as they're rebuilding it, they're like slaughtering pigs and desecrating the temple. I mean, there was this huge rip, this history. And now look what the disciples say because they weren't hospitable. Um, It says, and when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked the Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Jesus, a little Sodom and Gomorrah? Because those Samaritans deserve it, those wicked Samaritans. I mean, that's the feeling, right? That, I, who is it in your life that you would ever say that about? Well, let's just call down fire from heaven for them and feel good about ourselves, right? And, and it, Samaritan was like the N-word. Look, at, look in John 8. The Jews answered him, we are right in saying that you are a Samaritan, What? They know he's not a Samaritan. No, they're besmirching him. You Samaritan, right? You know, for us, there's no power. It's like years ago, I I was eating in England, and I I pulled back from the table, and I'm like, I'm stuffed. And he goes, you don't say that word here. Because frankly, if any British people are here, they're they're hating me for that word. Because it's, it's a serious swear word. For us, it just means I ate too much, right? For them... You know, and for us, we say Samaritan, we don't feel anything. For them, it was like the N-word. Samaritan, demon-possessed. So Jesus picks like an imam. You know what I mean? Jesus picks somebody that this guy hates, and he makes him the hero. I couldn't help but think about a movie I saw on Netflix that I totally would recommend, possibly because I was like crying at the end of it. And uh, it's a true story. It's called Best of Enemies. And it's about the situation when there was segregation in the South and the African-American school burned down. And they wanted to have a school. I mean, the, the, the people, who, the white people who lived there were like, no, just let them, let them learn in a burned-out school. It, yes, and, and they, they started to try to bring it together And who were on the committees? They paired a KKK leader. I don't know whether they call him kahunas or whatever, you know, but you got like the KKK leader and an African-American activist. And they said, you're going to head up the committees that are going to bring them together. And they had this name for this group where they worked together and they had a facilitator. And and the beauty of, of this moment is you had two people that utterly hated each other. And it came down to a vote, whether they would integrate the school or not. And it came down to one vote. Everybody voted along party lines, so to speak. And the one vote was the KKK leader. And he stands up and he starts talking and he pulls out his KKK card and he tears it up and says, we're going to integrate. Oh, he was hated. People didn't come to his business over and over. But why I cried, it's a true story. And at the end, they have like, you know, they do the black and white pictures. The gal who was the activist eulogized him at his funeral. They became friends, the best of enemies. It was, it's a beautiful story. I know I ruined it for you, but watch it anyways. Uh, <clears throat> so... The Samaritan who was hated was on a journey, came upon him, he saw him, and look, his bowels ache, that's the Greek word, he felt compassion on him. 
None of the other guys did. He felt compassion on him. He came to him, look, bandaged his wounds. He took from his own stuff, oil, wine, and he poured it on him. He put him on his beast, right? Well, I don't know, camel, donkey, best friend, I don't know. But he put him on it, and then he brought him to the inn, and he took care of him. Notice the personal sacrifice he had. Like, this guy is, he's, he's not just, like, throwing a couple bucks. He's all in. There's no hospital. He's the hospital. It's like he's the private nurse, gets him there and says, hey, here's my credentials. I can take care of him. And then he must have stayed at this inn often when he came through because it was an area of commerce. He goes to the guy and gives him two days wages for a blue-collar worker. And, and, and he says, whatever, he, whatever Billy runs up, I got it. Like, it's amazing. The guy has like total compassion on him. I, I saw this little news clip, and it made me think of the, the compassion and the action of a good Samaritan helping a Jewish person who hated him and possibly he hated. Blame Damon McLean for hating the police. He was falsely accused of pointing a gun at an officer and spent a year in jail before a jury finally acquitted him, not to mention the countless traffic stops. What happens? Oh, a typical running is you just pull out from your house and you get pulled. No traffic violations. How does it make you feel about police in general? Definitely a lot of animosity as in, you know, if I seen him, I wanted to go the other way. And that was the bitterness he brought to this street corner in Uniontown, Pennsylvania last month. Dalen says he rushed here after hearing a huge crash. There was just a lot of screaming, a lot of chaos. Oh man, I get chills when I think of it. It was a bad traffic accident involving a police car. Officer trapped inside, gas tank leaking, flames spreading toward the cabin. Another officer who responded to the crash tried to rescue his colleague, but couldn't get the door open. And that's when a lone bystander stepped toward the burning wreckage. That bystander, Mr. Dalen McLee. I don't know how I got that door open, and I grabbed him out. All of a sudden, the door just gets ripped open. Jay Hanley is the officer Dalen rescued. It's amazing when there's true love in people where they can get you out of something like that, no matter who you are or where you've come from. There should be more people like that. And certainly, if there were more people like that, look better. there'd be more moments like this. Finally get to see you now. Appreciate it. God bless you, man. Thank you. Last week, Dalen came over to check on Officer Hanley and meet his very thankful wife. Yeah, she's been dying for <laughs> He's a good man, I can tell. That's the other thing they're grateful for. Despite all his run-ins with the law, Dalen still believes there are a lot of good cops worth keeping. No, we're waiting for you to get back out there. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I want people to start to look at everybody as Americans and not, you know, he's white, he's black, he's Asian, we're people. And when we start realizing that, things should get better. In a small way. I think they just did. And hopefully the world follows suit. I hope so, man. Steve Hartman. Yeah. On the road. God was with us, bro. In Uniontown, Pennsylvania. I mean, you have to really get it. So this guy spent a year in jail for something he didn't do. I mean, do you, I mean, don't you think that you're like, let him burn? You know what I'm saying, right? You spend a year in jail. Who put you in jail? The police, right? So he, so he could easily just stand by. And, but no, he, like, he feels compassion. 
and he moves in, like he moves into the situation. And there's something beautiful about that. And I started thinking, you know, <clears throat> this guy who's listening to it, and he's hearing the hero of the story be somebody that he truly hates, this whole race of people, these Samaritans, and how the Samaritan, like, got no benefit from helping this guy. Nothing. There's nothing that's coming back to him in this story at all. You know, the story we watched, he got some press, right? And hopefully the police will stop picking him up, right? I mean, he got... But this guy, he, he gets nothing, right? right? He, he gives of himself. And the story is meant for this, this lawyer to be like, wait a minute, I wanted to justify myself, but I don't love my neighbor. And I think it's also meant for us to do that too. I think we need to look at our lives and go, hey, how often do we give when we get no benefit? I mean, I remember um, some years ago, we took a group down to Biloxi, Mississippi, and we did hurricane relief. I remember having some of the best chicken and ribs down there I've ever had in my life. You remember that? And we helped rebuild houses, clean up junk, you know, do stuff for this hurricane relief. And a lot of times we're, uh, we're willing to do that. I mean, people took paid vacation to go help other people. It was awesome. And, and many times when something really bad happens like that, we're willing to jump in. But, but what about when you look at somebody and go, you know what, they got there at their own hands. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't deserve this. They don't, how, do, how do they deserve my... They, 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 got, they got here. You know, they, they made bad choices, and this is... It's, it's, it's not an act of God that brought them here. It's, it's their, their stupidity. I'm not helping them. Or what if they rip me off? You know, what if they're... You know, what, you know, I think God calls us, of course, to wisdom, but to love indiscriminately. I mean, here is a Samaritan who is hated by the Jews, and he's giving. He, he's, he's not saying, well, you're, if you were Jewish, I would help you. No, he's, or if you were Samaritan, I would help you. No, he's indiscriminately loving and giving and serving. And I think this parable is to like take the high bar, and we think, oh, I'm doing well. I give a little bit, I help a little bit, and hold it up so all of us kind of fall on our face and go, Jesus, I don't love my neighbor as I should. Like the law should hit us in the face, and we should all be willing to go, Lord, I do not love my neighbor as I should. And then it wrecks us, and then it rebuilds us. And it rebuilds us because I don't know that Luke meant for this to be the point, but Jesus is the good Samaritan. He's the outcast one who came to the half dead and dying. You and I were enemies of God. That's what it says in Romans. It says, for while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. We were enemies. We were the Samaritans, or we were the Jewish and Samaritans, and Jesus becomes the good Samaritan. He got no benefit from loving us, from coming here, from taking on the form of a servant. No benefit. 
so that you and I could live with him forever, so that you and I could have forgiveness, so that you and I could have an imputed gift of righteousness. Now, here's, I think, where a lot of Christians go wrong. We're like, oh, thank God. Thank you, Lord. You've saved me. It's not based on my works. And it almost becomes something that uh, we, we, it just fits right into our own selfishness, right? We don't see that the Lord says, and if you become so filled with my love and my grace and so in touch with how I loved you, my enemy, you give that out to others. You start looking like me. You, you give out of your resources when it hurts, I mean, Christians give, sometimes they're like, I can give this, but it means I can't do this or get that thing because I've given that money to someone else. So um, Betty told me I could tell this story. Um, actually, Betty, get up here. She's going to hate me for this. Right here, talk into this microphone. So Betty hates me for this because she told me this story last night. I asked her if I could reshare it, but I can't reshare it like she can. Okay. You got to get about two inches from the mic. Okay. So years ago, uh, Jerry Mitchell, I think a lot of you know Amy and Jerry. Anyway, they lived by a little creek, but unfortunately we had, I don't know how many inches of rain, and it became a lake, totally flooded their basement up to the ceiling. Um, unfortunately, his office was down there. Their master bedroom was down there. It was completely finished and everything was destroyed. Um, and I, my garage got flooded. So Mike and I were out cleaning out the garage and I had just done my budget, budgeting for the month. Um, and I realized, because I mean, we're not rich. Anyway, it was a tough month. And so I came out in the garage and I said, okay, Mike, here's the deal. We have $112 for groceries this month. Don't ask for anything extra. That's it. <laughs> He's like, okay, so we're working away. But this voice inside my head kept saying, it didn't say, I want you to help out the Mitchells or I want you to send them something. No, it said specifically, I want you to send them $100. I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. So we kept cleaning, but this voice got so loud, I couldn't... I couldn't bear it, and I, it, it kept saying the same thing to me. So I went in the house, I wrote a check, and I sent it. So I, I was like, if I do this, will you just stop yelling at me? That's the <laughs> way I was thinking. So go back out in the garage, start cleaning, and I'm like, um, Mike, we have um, $12 for groceries this month, so don't ask for anything. He goes, we buy milk. I'm like, I don't know, just keep cleaning out the garage. So we're working away, and my phone rings. So I answer the phone and it's a call from LifeShare where I donate platelets. And they said, because we don't get very many people to donate platelets, because um, it's not very comfortable, but anyway, um, we decided to have a raffle. So we put everybody's name in a hat and we draw and you won. I'm like, cool, what did I win? They said, a gift certificate to Giant Eagle for groceries for $100. Thank you, Betty, thank you. So Betty's a good Samaritan who, um, who God honored her giftedness. And that, that sacrificial giving, and that looks like Jesus, right? And it's no wonder that after this parable, 
Jesus starts talking about how we stay connected to him. And what I mean, in order for us to be like Betty, because God doesn't always scream in our head, but in order for us to be sacrificial givers, I think we need to be in touch with this original sacrificial giver, Jesus. And right after this parable, he has that Mary and Martha story, where Martha's like, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. He's like, no, she's chosen the best place right at my feet. You know, and I think if we are to be like the Good Samaritan, like Jesus, we need to stay in contact with the living Lord. We need to have the gospel not just be, oh, Jesus, you set me a good example, but personal, even visceral, where we say, you did that for me. You did that for me. And then this parable also, I think, redirects us. It, it, it helps us take steps, right? God will place in our path good things to do. Betty had something in her path way back when, and as you go about your day, there are going to be people and situations in your path. It could be something you hear, could be something you see, whatever it is. It could be a friend, neighbor, people in your path, and the Lord will be like, hey, I, I want you to help them. That, that same situation, and this is why Betty told me the story, we had a bunch of youth at this Alive Music Festival back then, and somehow... We're in Canal Fulton, and through the grapevine, we hear about Jerry Mitchell's situation. Now, that, that night, it rained so hard that we were, most of us were soaked. I remember the hair on my head starting to stand up before the lightning struck close to our camp. I'm like, whoa, that was close. Nero climbed out of his tent that was like a bathtub and found the back seat of my car and climbed in it. I mean, it was... It was a, a crazy storm. And, and I hear that Jerry Mitchell's house had flooded and he had like his office down there and all their clothes and everything. And you know, if it, it floods up to the ceiling, you got to like rip the drywall, all the insulation, everything out. And, and I remember Jerry telling me, you know, we got out just in time, but my dog didn't. And he goes, I, I went down there after the water subsided to find my dog and I, I knew what I was going to find. And and he goes, you know where I found my dog? On the top of a cabinet. And it had been snorkeling up in the rafters where there was air. And it survived. And he was so thankful. And I gather the alive youth and adults that were there. And I say, listen, you could kind of sing and rah and have like this day. Or we could go help somebody today. I don't know, 15, maybe more of us said, yeah, let's go help. So I had this like big van and put everybody in it. Now, some people, we took all, <clears throat> all of our wet clothes, sleeping bags and everything. So I sent some to a laundromat with a lot of change and said, you need to like dry our stuff. And so they did that. And, and then we went to Jerry's house and he had been up all night and his neighbor was there and we were... Uh, coming around the corner and I remember when I came around the corner I looked in his eyes and he is just exhausted and they were red and 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 I saw as another person came and another person came tears just started coming down his face he just started like, like oh my goodness because the work is insurmountable for one or two people to, to do that kind of work. I mean, we had a mountain of clothing and dry, I mean, just a mountain. And 
good Samaritans. We just did what was before us. And sometimes it's big and sometimes it's small. Just recently, uh, Jerry Mitchell, now he devotes his life and his wife and his daughter too to, to mentoring kids in the city. And, you know, we've had tutoring things here and stuff. And one of the, the youth it, that he's connected with, they've got her into Lutheran West. I don't know if you know anything about Cleveland schools, but it, this year was not a good education year for students. I remember, I think Catherine, it took her five hours to set one kid up on the computer. And she's computer savvy. And a lot of the, the it, just, it just was a pain. Well, we got a phone call saying, hey, there's one girl, and she is accepted at Lutheran West, and she only needs $500 more on tuition. Can you guys help? I said, I'm not sure what's in the Good Samaritan Fund, but I'll let it be known, and maybe some people will give to the Good Samaritan Fund, and we can help this girl have her freshman year at Lutheran West. It's, it's not that much if we all give a little bit. It's, like, it's part of the Good Samaritan. If anybody wants to make this girl's wish come true to attend Lutheran West and get a better education, you're welcome to give. Just earmark a check to that. So I think it redirects us, but also I think we have to use prayer and discernment. You know, a, a while ago, I, I became a part of this board at Lutheran Metropolitan Ministries, and, and I did it because I, I really don't have contact with the people that they minister to. I mean, they have the largest homeless shelter in Cleveland. They have, you know, different ministries. And, and although maybe theologically we'd have some differences, they are helping people, people that God loves, our neighbor. And I got involved because I'm like, they are helping people, and how can I be a part of that? And, and I, I think for all of us, we have to, some of us, we go here, we go to work, and we, we just don't rub shoulders at times with our neighbors, so to speak. And maybe the Lord would have you get involved in something or seek out or find a place where you can serve, where, where people uh, that you wouldn't normally rub shoulders with, you do because of your neighbors. Will you pray with me? Lord, lead us on um, being like drops in the bucket, being your hands and your feet, you know, choosing to, to look like you, Lord, by your spirit. We know we, we can't do it. We know we fall way short of, of how you would have us live as lovers of you and lovers of people. And yet, Jesus, we're called to clothe ourselves with kindness and compassion and humility. And we're called to be generous because you're generous to us. And so, Father, lead us on to love our neighbors. And we'll say thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.